And we are back. And by we, I don't necessarily mean the show. Well, I mean, I, I guess I kind of do because we are recording. But I mean our beloved Chelsea, Andres. And as per our newish format, we'll be releasing two shows this week. The first of which we'll be talking about the Brighton match as well as the West Ham match that took place earlier today. We are recording on Monday night. Um, and then the second half of, uh, of our podcast, which will be released also shortly after the first one, is just going to be basically a combination of uh, various Chelsea news, whatever the hot topics are. Uh, we got a lot of great Twitter questions, and we're also going to be previewing the Slavia Prague and Liverpool matches. I had to make sure to say Slavia Prague and not just Prague because I don't want to make the same mistake that the official Chelsea Twitter account did where they actually said Sparta Prague and Sparta Prague went back and were like, oh, it's not, you know, no surprise that you miss that you just assumed that you were playing the best team in Prague and not the second best team. <laughs> but then I went and looked at the league table. And Slavia Prague is actually seven points clear at the top, and Sparta Prague's in third place, so you can't talk shit and not back it up. So anyways, Andres, you're here to join <laughs> me this week. Um, Som's obviously not going to be here again. Surprise, surprise. I think Som Jeez. is more injury prone than like a Gareth Bale type <laughs> footballer, right? But anyways, Andres, how was your week? I mean, you're, I know Man. your dad had a great week. Yeah, yeah. Apart from from the Chelsea matches, which were all fantastic, and we'll get to those, um, I actually got to join my dad in what turned out to be the largest uh, Bayern Munich like watch party outside of Germany ever. So he's a big Bayern fan. Uh, their Klassiker was this past weekend, so we went to this bar down in Houston. The the fan clubs from Houston, Dallas, and Austin got together for this event, and. It was it was a great time. the 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 bar was full, beers were flowing, goals were flowing. It was a five nil victory. So he had a fantastic weekend. It was fun to to do that with him. But let's get right to to what matters most and talk some Chelsea. Yes, let's do it. So uh, forgive me if I if I you know stutter a little bit or misread a couple things. I actually found out this last week that I need glasses. So I went, I got my eyes checked, and I'm still <laughs> waiting for the actual frames to come in. But yeah, I mean, I was the last person in my family to finally get glasses. Anyways, let's dive right into part one. I want to talk about Brighton. Um, so starting, uh, we obviously won that match, 3-0. Um, our starting lineup was Kepa, Dave uh, as our right back, David Luiz partnering with Christensen. So Christensen replacing Rudiger in the middle of our back four. Emerson on the left. Alonso was still injured. Jorginho playing the Regista role along with Conte. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek. We finally get to see that midfield that we've been dying for. And we also get to see the front three that we've been dying for in Cho, Hazard, and Olivier Giroud. So... I think the only two talking points in this game, I mean, besides Hazard's brilliance that eventually got us to break through, is uh, that Callum Hudson-Odoi and Loftus-Cheek started. So um, I want to talk about Callum Hudson-Odoi first because he seemed to be the player that uh, that stood out in the beginning phases of the match and obviously assisted Giroud's first goal. So uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, two shots, four key passes, 92% pass success rate. Three tackles, which I actually find as the most impressive stat for an 18-year-old winger in this system. Um, and then he also had one assist, and he also created the most chances versus Brighton. And according to Skaka, Callum Hudson-Odoi at 18 years, 14 months, and 27 days is the youngest player to assist in the Premier League this season. So, Andres, 
give me your initial reactions on the performance. Oh my god. Um it's one of those I told you so moments as fans to sorry. Just like this kid is a per like, for what we do right now, he is such a good partner to Hazard. Hazard slows the ball and drags people towards him to open people up while Cho likes to dribble at them from a very wide position to stretch out a defense. I, I to, we told you so. One of the it's as simple as that. He was fantastic on the ball. His work rate off the ball has increased immensely since we first saw him take on the pitch a few months back for us. It's he's improved a lot for what Sari's expecting his players to do on the field. And um, yeah, just it, very happy to see him start and and you know just do what we thought he could do. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing to see what happens to opposition defenses when we actually play wingers on both sides that are willing and able to run at defenders. So, I mean, basically every time either uh, Cho or Hazard would get the ball, they'd pick their head up, and if they were in a 1v1 situation, they would run at the defense. And, you know, in, instead of uh, Brighton pressing us into half spaces, which they probably would have done if we had a more passive winger like Willian or... Uh, or a or a Pedro, they actually had to drop off, and because they knew that Cho and Hazard had that pace to get in behind, and once mm-hmm. they would get in behind, they'd be in trouble. Um, Cho absolutely embarrassed Anthony Knockart on that on that play. I know Knockart's a winger; he's not, he's not a he's not a fullback by any stretch, but just right. that ability to to control the ball, square up against an opponent, and beat him and basically get a step ahead of him within like a five yard gap. Right. So like a quick five yard dash, you get a step mm-hmm. ahead, play that, play that ball across the box. I mean, that's not many premier league players that have been in a league for five, six, seven years um, can even do that. And, and Cho is and, 18 years old and pulling that shit off. Right. The the crazy thing is that he does not a matter of like a blink of an eye kind of thing mm-hmm. with William, you, you expect him to wait and kind of just, wait for the defender to come to him. And then with Pedro, he's going to run around like 12 circles before he makes the move. So mm-hmm. it's such a nice like breath of fresh air to have Cho already know what he's about to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, the right side is not his go like his preferred position, but he still makes that dribble towards his right foot and then puts in a great cross. So yeah, it's, it's nice to have that going in because it doesn't slow down the progression from the back line all the way to the final third which I think has been such an issue for us throughout this season where we just kind of diddle daddle with the ball when we should be kind of pushing the envelope and getting to those dangerous positions you know another thing I like about Cho's game and I don't think this gets talked about enough is it looks like he's taking Sari's directions a little bit differently than Pedro or William would and maybe that's because they're different players so Pedro's not necessarily an out and out winger he's more like an inside forward right He's mm-hmm. very good when he plays off-target men. You know, he gets himself into scoring positions, good at getting the ball out from under his feet. Then you got guys like William who are very similar to Hazard, where they like to slow their defenders down to a walking pace and then blow by them. Where you got Cho, who basically has his heels on the touchline for most of the match, and mm-hmm. whenever he gets the ball, he's either looking to get in behind in a position where he could cross, or he's looking to beat his man and, and 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 service you know whoever is playing in the midfield or up top in Giroud and, and and that's something I noticed in this game is that he's actually looking to combine now so at first you know we initially saw um 
these little spurts of of ability where he would beat a guy down the sideline and play a really good ball. But now we're starting to see a bit of interplay. You know, there's a couple wall passes with Giroux that went astray because they were on different pages. But just seeing that Cho has that ability to to not only hurt defenses in one way, he's not a one trick pony. And I think that's something that's very, very important at this stage in his career. And something that he has to hone in on also is noticing that, you know, defenders know that he could run, he can shoot, he can pass, he can play across. um, He could cut inside. He could play on the right and the left. I mean, he just seems to be this multifaceted attacker. That's just primed for an amazing, amazing career in the premier league. Um, I do want to talk about Loftus-Cheek, though, because I felt like Loftus-Cheek playing on the same side as Cho was or, or, or uh, was almost a perfect foil for him um, as the match went on. So Loftus-Cheek, one goal, one assist on a day, uh, 94% pass success rate, 65 of 69 passes completed. Jeez. So he kept it nice and tidy, two dribbles, and what about that goal? Um, he just had he just had to outshine Hazard. He basically told Hazard, "Hold my beer, watch this." And uh, and you know, it's been a long time coming for Loftus in terms of Loftus Cheek finally getting to start. We know he had that back injury, and he's actually been very unlucky with the injury bug the last couple seasons, which is something to keep an eye on as his career progresses. But what did he do in this game against Brighton that kind of put him above? Ross Barkley and Kovacic in the pecking order because I felt like after this game was over it just seemed to end all debate about Barkley and Kovacic even competing for that spot it's pretty simple and and I go back to what I just said about Cho it's pushing the envelope and actually trying to catch the opposing team kind of what's the word I'm looking for here surprised I don't I don't know what the right term is but when Loftus Sheik gets the ball, he's not his first instinct is not to pass the ball back or to square it horizontal. If he's got the space, he's turning around and he's coming at you. He's the way I see Loftus Sheik is is a a Yaya Toure like player, except Loftus Sheik has like way more athleticism than Yaya Toure had. So for me, he brings an actual threat when it comes to our attack. I saw it in the Brighton game, and I saw it again today in the West Ham game. When Loftus-Cheek has the ball, he demands attention from defenders because he can take the shot, he can find that pass with his vision, or he can take you on. So he, just by himself, brings (laughs) two, three different things that both Kovacic and Barkley seem to be missing in that final third, which has been our, our biggest weakness all season. I mean, I guess to use a basketball term, he has that triple threat factor, right? Where basically he can pass, he can shoot, and he could dribble. And this season we seem to struggle because we lack that triple threat. Or actually I'm going to use the term X factor just so it's more applicable to the global audience. But, you know, like he has that X factor in and around the attacking third. He fills that void and gives defenses something else to think about from a deeper position, which is something that we haven't had all season. It seems like we finally have our goal threat that uh, from the midfield position. And it's that simple because we haven't gotten that from Kovacic at all. Um, Conte's done what he can, but you can only ask so much from a natural defensive midfielder. And then, you know, Ross Barkley just seems to go uh, up and down in form as, as the season's gone on. So he hasn't necessarily put together a consistent run of matches where we could rely on him to be our main attacking outlet from the midfield position. Loftus-Cheek has seemed to fill that role perfectly. 
and and I talked about him being a good foil for Cho. I feel like a big reason for that is because Cho's heels are on the touchline, like I was talking about before, it gives Loftus-Cheek that much more space to operate in the midfield. And it also allowed Hazard to do that as well. At times, you saw Hazard tuck in and sort of play like that uh, that pseudo number 10 role where he comes in off the left and just dictates in behind our number nine. And at that point, Loftus-Cheek would actually drift out to the left-hand side. So it makes right. our team a lot more balanced in that respect. We didn't see that from Kovacic. Ross Barkley definitely can't do that. He's not mobile enough. But just having something – giving those defenses something else to think about seems to be that X factor that Loftus-Cheek brings to the side that we don't have with any other midfield on our roster at this point. Um, and, and it's honestly – you know, his goal was brilliant. You know, he, he, he got it off a quick bit of interplay with Hazard, some quick passing, something that we can't really see Ross Barkley doing. I mean Kovacic could pull off those passes but not the finish, and Barkley can't pull off the passes but could pull off the finish. And Loftus-Cheek <laughs> can do both. You right. know, and, it, and it's been something Sari has just been criticizing the team for all season, and it's great that we finally have it now. Yeah, one thing one thing that you mentioned that made me think a little bit, you said, and, and it was obvious, when Hazard drifts centrally, you see Loftus-Cheek making a darting run, like, wide of him, going to his left. And up to this point, people, maybe ourselves too, uh, journalists, have criticized the fact that no manager has until now with Sari, has really just cemented one position for Loftus-Cheek. And I think now we kind of see the advantage of the fact that he's played at left mid. He's played as an attacking center mid. He's played as a winger for us earlier this season because he feels comfortable in those other areas. Like he, Loftus-Cheek obviously wants to be a center mid. He said that all along. And Sari finally gave him the chance and has you know put in – in training, and obviously Loftus-Cheek has done so some of that on his own too. But when Hazard does drift inside, which in another team we might find like an obstruction of, of his path, Loftus-Cheek, instead of moaning and staying centrally, he goes to that wing slot where he's also very comfortable, and you see zero drop in what he can do for this squad. So yeah. it, it's incredible to see what a uh, that left center mid spot can do when you have the right person in there. Yeah. I, I, I think a big thing about Loftus-Cheek being able to drift out to that left-hand side when Hazard does tuck in is that it keeps the opposition fullbacks pinned back. And when we're playing teams like Liverpool, who basically go through, who basically attack through their fullbacks, they probably have the best attacking fullbacks in the league at the moment. Yeah. That's going to be crucial. You know, if Loftus-Cheek does start with Hazard, um, when Hazard tucks in, look for Loftus-Cheek to drift out wide to pin Alexander-Arnold or uh, or Andrew Robertson back. And then that way, um, they won't be able to break our press when we do lose possession. So I think that's something to keep an eye on as we move on. Um, I do want to mention really quick that I thought Chris Hewton got his tactics completely wrong in this game. Like, it was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> uh, when, we, when we saw the starting lineup and we did the match preview, the only person we talked about was Glenn Murray because that's really their only threat. And he actually started on the bench, which was confusing to me because how are you going to counterattack without a target man? And Chris Hewton just decided to go with sheer pace, and it didn't necessarily work. But they did have one eye on the FA Cup uh, semifinal, which they lost. Yeah. But another thing he got wrong was just giving tons of space to Jorginho, yeah. who we haven't talked about in this in this review, but he was fantastic too. Mm -hmm. I felt that Conte and Loftus-Cheek's movement 
has been what he's been praying for all season because he was pinging these extremely hard passes through tight spaces and we were maintaining the possession like mm-hmm. he he has not been trying those with Barkley or Kovacic or Kovacic isn't even in that position to receive a ball there we yeah. saw more of what Jorginho would like to do every week in this game for the first time in a while I feel and I, that's credit to Conte, Loftus-Cheek, Cho, and Hazard because all of them were making those runs into the spaces to where Jorginho could play more vertical passes than horizontally. And he had the confidence to play them through tight spaces, extremely quick pace on the ball, knowing that his teammates were going to maintain the possession. Jorginho also had a really good match against West Ham, and I want to dive into that one. Um, so obviously that match happened earlier today. Chelsea went, Chelsea won 2-0. And it was basically the Eden Hazard show. But I'll give you guys the starting lineups before we dive into it. So Keppa in goal, Dave back on the right. Rudiger comes in for Christensen. Louise uh, starts next to Rudy. Emerson back out on the left. Same midfield three, Jorginho, Conte, and ROC. And our uh, front three was Cho on the right, Hazard on the left, and Iguain replacing Olivier Giroud. So we don't talk about him enough on the show, Andres, because <laughs> it's kind of hard to criticize the guy. <laughs> And, and, and he really can't do anything wrong at this point, even if he does go to Real Madrid. But this was the Eden Hazard show. Four shots total, 94% pass success rate, five key passes. And he complete. get this, he completed eight dribbles. Jeez. The entire West Ham team combined only completed seven. He had two <laughs> goals on the day. And if you wanted to get even better than that, so Hazard had eight dribbles completed. Callum Hudson-Odoi, six dribbles completed. And Ruben oh Loftus-Cheek, five dribbles completed. Chelsea are the first side in this season's Premier League to have three players complete five-plus dribbles in it. a single game. Dude, let's talk about the first goal. Is that a top-five goal? Top three, possibly? Some people are already saying it's better than Arsenal goal. I mean, where do you stand on that? Oh, for, for me, I think Hazard has already scored two goals this season that are better than the Arsenal goal. The Liverpool game mm. in the in the League Cup and this one. I my goodness, this one was was beautiful. Yes, in the Arsenal one, he shrugged off Coughlin and, and embarrassed him and then also embarrassed Colchielny before taking the shot. But this one, he operated in such a tight space through the middle of a parked bus, by the way. Yeah. Because he turned around and he was still going through five or six players in a very small amount of space. So you see these kind of goals. I can think of Messi where he he picks up the ball at halfway and dribbles past five players, but he has a half a pitch to run through to cover that space. That's a lot of gaps between the players here. Hazard was maybe 30 yards from goal. So these five, six players were in a very condensed space and he just, oh man, sliced and diced through them all and finished it off with his weak foot too. Oh, it was. And gave the little West Ham fans the ears, didn't he? Oh, man, yeah, that celebration was nice, too, especially uh, West Ham and London Derby, just fantastic. And and, and as he was celebrating, it was kind of interesting to me because he said earlier in the season, like, I'm done knee sliding, like, I keep scraping up my knees and it hurts when I shower, blah, blah, blah. Right, the second he scored that goal, you just saw, like, this overwhelming emotion hit him because he kind of surprised himself, like, damn, that was a sick goal. And he said after, he said after the match in an interview, too, when I asked him to walk him through to, to to walk the journalist through that goal, 
he started talking about it and then he just kind of caught himself in the moment and was just like it was just something special like <laughs> he knows his ability is just ridiculous and i think i think my three favorite hazard goals of all time have been scored in london derbies you know the goal against spurs that won luster the title which was ridiculous the solo goal at arsenal that you just talked about and now this one and i think it's simple without a doubt he's the best player we've seen in the premier league in a very very long time and i think the only players that probably come close to him in terms of natural ability are probably cristiano ronaldo and, and thierry henry i know chelsea fans are going to jump on me for picking henry but i mean the guy was a great player let's not you know beat around the bush mm-hmm. but he is easily our best player ever that we've had at chelsea not the greatest but definitely the best in terms of natural ability, the ability to just completely pull something ridiculous out of his hat. I mean, do you agree? I think so. I mean, like you said, greatest, I, I still have Frank Lampard. Like Frank Lampard, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way above everyone. But in terms of the best player, in terms of what he can do in the blink of an eye, whether it's, excuse me, whether it's scoring himself or, or setting somebody up, just just look at the numbers for this season. He has the most goal contributions out of any player. So add goals and assists in all of the Premier League ahead of both the Man City players and the Liverpool players who, you know, score for fun. So imagine imagine if he had had a little bit of help this season. His numbers would be astronomical. So you have this guy who who has this ability and and the thing that if he was cocky I feel like more people would be on board with what you said that he's probably up there with Ronaldo and Henri. He's if just he was such more, a good dude. He's just humble. He's just yeah. so humble. He's never gonna, you know, toot his own horn. And when he does, you can tell he's joking from the beginning. Yeah. It's it's never a I am the best. Like it's not the kind of quote where Ronaldo said against Atletico, like what does Juventus need to do to beat Atletico? He said, oh, I need to score a hat trick. It's ne- it's never that kind of pompous. He knows what he can do, and he's very confident, but he just comes off as just your everyday average Joe, and I think that's what makes him so much more lovable as a, as a fan to, to have him play for your team. You know, a lot of people get stuck in stats, and I know a, a bunch of people on Twitter going off and saying, oh, look at Raheem Sterling, and look what Mo Salah did last season, and then, you know, look at Aguero's longevity and all that. I think the only person that could even come close to Hazard right now, if you're talking about best in the league, would be Sergio Aguero in that respect because of longevity, right? But mm-hmm. at the same time, the, could Aguero do something like that on his own? I think I, I think the thing with Aguero is that he gets himself into these great positions, and and also his supporting cast. You know, it 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 it, it, it helps to have a supporting cast of Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva, Bernardo Silva, Sane, Sterling, Mares. Like it's just a joke. Or Eden Hazard has been playing with Kovacic and Conte, um, and, and Willian. You know, not really the greatest uh, in terms of like attacking talent next to him, but. You know, I, I think Aguero is the only guy that could actually come close to him. You know, guys like Mo Salah, guys like uh, Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling. Yes, they're great players, but they've only been doing it the last two or three years. Hazard's been doing it for the seven years he's been in the Premier League. He has been an elite talent, and he has been in a conversation of top five players in the world for the last five years now. So I think he's earned that respect. And 
it's a it, it's a shame when I hear people argue against Hazard being the best in the league when they only look at numbers. Like you, you can't just look at numbers. If you're gonna sit, if you had a kid and you're gonna sit him down and he's gonna watch soccer for the first time and you're gonna show him the best player in the Premier League, are you gonna pull up a highlight reel of Mo Salah or are you gonna pull up a highlight reel of Eden Hazard? And I think that's what it comes down to at the end. Something I thought was interesting was after the match, sorry, was interviewed, and he was asked if 100 million is enough. For Hazard, and he immediately shut it down and said that basically in this market, uh, he's worth much more, and anything is possible. And I mean, uh, assuming that Hazard's gone, which we all are at this point, what is a fair price for both Chelsea and Madrid? I think this past month has only increased his price, even with just one year to go, because Chelsea can argue they don't have to sell him. And Hazard has said he's never going to disagree with the club's choice as much as he probably wants to leave. But I used to say like, oh, 105 is a perfect number. If you asked me six weeks ago, I would have said, just break triple digits. Let the man go to to Madrid. That's where he wants to be. He's done everything for us. But then he does this kind of thing where he's it's uh, you know here in the NBA the LeBron playoff mode is is the thing that I feel is is similar where he just flips a switch and decides oh let let me take care of you guys and he has that in him I don't know why it's not there every single week even though when it's not to that level he's still a fantastic player but mm-hmm. I I think you have to get closer to 150 million now i don't think we'll get 200 again because he only has one year left in his contract but you have to be pushing 150 oh i was about to roast you when you said 105 but you redeemed yourself i mean i i had 150 million like in my head the second he scored the first goal a player a player with like come on that's he's a fucking cheat code it's not even like Manuel Pellegrini was asked after the match about the goal and, 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 you know, Pellegrini even said like when you have a player with Hazard's ability on the, on the opposite team, like they can do that to you. Like that's something that even Manuel Pellegrini, a Premier League winning, I mean, we're talking about X-Man City, X-Real Madrid coach, like a guy with plaudits, well-respected in the European game saying this about Hazard, like sometimes shit like that just happens. And Pellegrini actually dodged a question and said, I don't think it was about that one moment. I think it's about the whole entire first half as a whole. <laughs> like you cannot blame your players for, for, for allowing Hazard to do like it's, it, you can't argue against that. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and the funny thing is Hazard even mentioned it. He said like, he was asked about his center of gravity and he was talking about, you know, like I'm glad I have that ability, but like I also knew that the second I crossed the line and got into the 18-yard box, that none of the West Ham center backs were gonna put in a challenge until the very last minute because the second they touch me, I'm gonna get a penalty. And like right. he knows how good he is at that situation. So having somebody with the self-awareness and that kind of confidence in their own ability to know like look i'm gonna get myself into this position and if they touch me i'm just gonna go down i'm gonna get a penalty and i'm gonna you know slot it in the back of the net no problem and they didn't put the challenge in and hazard punished them and that finish was as clinical as i've seen hazard yeah Um, that was fantastic and one thing about not just that goal but the second goal too 
it's it's where he how he positions those shots when when he knows he's going to shoot he know he knows he doesn't have to put it up or 90 he knows he doesn't have to hit it 80 miles an hour it's this mix of placement and power low shots that he's a natural natural finisher simple as that if we've always said that if he just was a slightly more selfish he'd be a 20 a minimum of 20 goals a league kind of player and if he goes to La Liga how much do you think he's putting up 25 or 30 oh easily easily just because the quality he, he mentioned well, not the quality, but the physicality of it. I mean, we've seen Morata already score three or four goals at Atletico, and he couldn't even walk into a box here without being pushed to the ground. So that that whole center of gravity, that agility, that touch, like he he is fantastic. And his second goal was not bad either. The he moved if you if you watch the ball move around Hazard while it makes its way back to Ross Barkley before Ross Barkley finds Hazard, his off-the-ball movement to make space for himself to be as open as he was was incredible. He just kind just, of, yeah, he just kind just of backed to touch up it, into that space. Yeah, and then just to get a one touch to kill that pass and then, a per, again, perfectly placed shot as pressure was coming. Eden Hazard today, like Pellegrini said, was completely unplayable. Yeah, I mean, when he's in that kind of form, I mean, it's 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 irresistible. And that's, you know, I had a hundred fifty million price tag in my head after the match, but then you're really thinking about it, and like, if Chelsea do keep him, let's say the summer rolls around, Hazard doesn't want to force his way out because he doesn't want to burn any bridges, and he seems like that type of guy too. Let's say Chelsea go up to Hazard and say, "We're not going to sell you. We're going to let you walk on the free at the end of next year." Do you think that it's still worth it to keep him? Because when he plays like this, you can't argue against it. Right, I guess. But at the end of the day, this is also a business. I don't see yeah. it. I don't see us letting what you just agreed to be a over two hundred million valued player if he has a decent contract still on the table. Yeah. To just walk for free, you don't just let two hundred million walk away. You you cut your losses and at least take a negative of 50 million based off your evaluation. But as much as would love to have him here for another season, if we know he's going to walk, you have to just let him go this summer. And, and that kind of brings me to this next thing I wanted to bring up after the game, he was asked about the West Ham fans is he's off to Madrid chance. And he answered, they're wrong. I'm just focused on this season. And to me, I just want this saga to just come to a conclusion <laughs> I, yeah. I'm in, I'm so done with this back and forth that I know that he's he might be trying to spare us. Part of me thinks that he's trying to spare himself because if if Real Madrid doesn't make a good enough offer, he knows he'll have to stay and sign another contract because at what by the time next season rolls around, he's approaching 30, and even Madrid might not want to sign him on a Bosman because then you have to sign him crazy wages. So to me, I just want to know how this is going to end. I. Tan Levine may say that you can only transfer in June or whatever, but we all know you can negotiate now. If that negotiation is done, which Sarri's – you mentioned Sarri's conversation. He also said in his quote that it's a player's choice at this point, and it made it sound like Eden has made up his mind and is ready to go. I think everybody knows it too. Right. It's it's just I want the, the saga to end, and, and initially I was going to ask you, is there any chance he stays? 
but I think I've just talked myself out of it entirely. I, I here's the thing is I don't want to lead myself on right like you know in high school when when you've been you know like there's a girl sitting in one of the front rows and you stare at her all <laughs> semester and then she finally says a word to you and you're like oh this is my chance like we got put in the same group I got her phone number let me text her and you get rejected anyways even though you know you're gonna get rejected right. that's exactly how I feel about this hazard situation it's like we could fantasize all we want and imagine him actually staying at the club but. I mean, is it the right choice from his perspective? Probably not. Is it the right choice from our perspective? Again, probably not. Um, I want to... Two things that I think, just to, to close this out, two things that I think are a key factor for us to have even the slightest chance of keeping him. Number one, no transfer ban, which would ensure him getting more help. And number two, Champions League. We have to be in the Champions League, whether there's a transfer ban or not next season, for us to even have the slightest chance of keeping Eden here and keeping him happy. Because we all know that's the only trophy he still does not have in his club career. And that is one trophy that he he could focus on by going to Madrid. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say is like, you know, He's gonna get it. He's gonna get an opportunity at Real, or at least a fair chance with a decent squad. Whereas if he stayed at Chelsea going into next season, I mean, even with the transfer ban, this side is nowhere near ready to compete on a, you know, for the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at best, if you take this squad performing the way we did today, I think maybe we could make the round of eight, possibly. But I don't think we'd get further beyond that because it's just the comp the level of competition becomes too much once you start facing teams like juventus and barcelona and you know real madrid when they're not uh having an abnormal year like this year but like you know mm-hmm. expect them to be back next year that they're just tough teams and, and we're not gonna be able to compete with them on that level even teams like man city and liverpool um as much as i hate to say it like it's just i just don't think it's gonna happen but i do want to i do want to deviate from the whole hazard thing for a second because at n ward aka roman's empire ultra uh tweeted at us and uh he actually said his favorite moment from today's he he wants to know our favorite moment from today's match that was not an eden hazard goal he said mine was three minutes in Ruben Loftus-Cheek going shoulder to shoulder with some poor guy and sending him flying several yards. The physicality, presence, size, strength. Love having that on the pitch. So, Andres, I mean, besides the Hazard goal, if you had to pick one moment that stood out to you, what what would it be? It's tough. I I had a few. I think one that just – and it's literally a moment that just made me kind of just happy and and content was when Cho was subbed off. Uh, sorry and Joe shared like a genuine a very genuine smile on his way off the pitch and amidst all of the media and all the sorry hates youth or the Cho is done with sorry or Cho is leaving because he has no future here it's nice to see that that kind of thing can still happen especially after you know the Cardiff game where Cho looked like he wanted to just quit right there and then so I don't know what kind of thing has happened behind the scenes, but that little moment for me was huge for not just the now, but potentially the future. I have two moments, and one of them involves Eden Hazard. Actually, both of them do because he was just all <laughs> over the place. But um, in the second half, there was a time where he picked up the ball on the left-hand side, dribbled past three or four players, and he got isolated against – I forgot who was playing on their right-hand side today. 
it's escaping my mind. But anyways, uh, Hazard is running down the sideline, tried to cut the ball back, wound up uh, deflecting off of him when he tried to play the ball into the box. And Hazard like slid on the floor and the camera got a close up of his face when he slid on the floor. And Hazard just kind of looked up into like, you know, the the, the Matthew Harding lower. He just kind of looked up like into that section and gave him like a little smirk like – I know I'm on my game right now, you know, like <laughs> this is my game. And, and when he did that, even the commentary, uh, the, the commentators on TV were like, Oh, Hazard knows ha- Hazard knows that he's in form right now and that he's unplayable. But I think the second big moment for me, and this is significant is that, yeah, and we're going to get to it soon. And we, we finally got to see a little bit of sorry ball. And as a result of seeing sorry ball and, and, and seeing his, his ideas finally come to some sort of fruition on the pitch. Again, it's not in full flow, but we're seeing it in bits and pieces. After Hazard scored the first goal um, and they were showing the highlights, they showed a slow-mo of Sari's celebration. And I have never seen Maurizio Sari celebrate a goal like that all season long. Like he's always been a very quiet guy. Whenever we score, he turns around, he keeps chewing on his cigarette butt and he's a little taking notes or there's always something that we can improve on. But for Sari to just in the midst of all this – drama behind the scenes and you know him being on the hot seat and Hazard leaving the Cho saga you know all this mess about all these different players all these different storylines in and around the pitch it was just nice to catch a glimpse of him enjoying something truly special right and it and that moment right there just kind of encompassed like why we all fell in love with football is like no matter what happens on the side like nothing beats a beautiful goal. And the fact that he celebrated it and he pumped his fist passionately and he was screaming, it was just fantastic. I love seeing that from Sorry. But anyways, I mentioned Sorry Ball. And I know Ross Barkley is on our script before Sorry Ball, but I kinda wanna talk about Sorry Ball first, Andres. So let's, yeah, let's just get right into it. I mean, we finally got a glimpse of it for at least most of the first half and bits and pieces in the second. Did we finally see it in your perspective? Yeah, I think we have because in the past two games, and I want to include Brighton into this mix as well. I've seen our team go from the very back third of the pitch all the way to the final third in four passes in a matter of seconds. And I think the biggest, the biggest reason for that is the midfield three we're we're putting onto the pitch from the beginning. Jorginho obviously necessary for this all to work, and he was for the most part, marked out of this match today. But because he was the way of his movement, Conte and Loftus-Cheek were benefiting from it. And I thought Jorginho was pretty good today. Right. And like I said, I thought he was good too, but there was times where you could tell somebody was just always on his on, on him. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't getting the ball as much as he probably did against Brighton. I think he touched the ball 161 times that game. Mm-hmm. But it – it's more about the movement that Conte is now comfortable doing in his right center mid position, as well as Loftus Cheek. Both of them are just so comfortable where where they are, and now there seems to be just an understanding of where the next player is. I think the only player today that I felt is still learning a little bit, not the system, but where his players might be, was Iguain. I thought a couple of his passes were were he blindly passed it in a direction expecting someone to be there. He does that a lot. I think the blame was on him for those. So I think he was the only one that wasn't in sync with the other five players around him because we mentioned it. Hazard drifts centrally, then Loftus-Cheek peels to the the left. Emerson making great overlapping runs. On the right side, you have Cho hogging the line. 
And when he comes inside, even Aspie was pushing forward today. So, yes, I think Sorry Ball was shown in bits and pieces most of the first half and then a little bit less often in the second half. But the, the foundations are there. And I think the biggest contributor to that has been the three midfielders and the introduction to Emerson, who who can make the run past Hazard and also come back to his defensive position. So the, that's that's kind of my input on, on the quote-unquote sorry ball we saw today. I mean, maybe maybe this midfield three of, of Jorginho, Conte, and RLC, um, I, I think they are the game-breaker, basically, where like teams would normally mark Jorginho out of a match when we'd have Kovacic or Barkley playing in Loftus-Cheek's spot because we tend to play more side-to-side football instead of uh, vertical football. Which the intention of Sorry Ball, and I just want to make this clear: Sorry Ball is not Tiki Taka by any stretch of the imagination. It's very, it's actually very different from what Pep Guardiola accomplished at Barcelona. It's it's vertical football. It's connecting five, six, maybe seven passes and advancing into the final third within a matter of seconds. And I think that's key here. It's not necessarily just keeping possession of the ball and 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 uh, trying to break. Uh, a, a low defensive lo- uh, a low defensive block for 90 minutes. It's high press, turn the ball over, boom, three four pass combination. Now we're in, and it and it's very quick football. It's kind of a hybrid between like the, you know the various Pep Guardiola styles that we've seen and this whole Gagan press that Jurgen Klopp had when he first came in at Liverpool because they're not necessarily doing it as much anymore. But I do want to give credit to the performance today too. Sorry because I thought he set the team up wonderfully. You know, we, we talk about a stubbornness with tactical switches and something I want to talk about is, you know, the tactical switch that he made in the midfield, not necessarily with just personnel, because that seems to be Sari's first card that he always plays is, oh, well, I'm just going to make a like for like sub and hope that something good happens. Whereas today he actually had Conte and RLC taking turns pressing while the other one drops in next to Giorgino to provide more cover. And we saw it in the first match against City at home where we won that match 2-0 as well. But you know, I, I think Sari deserves some credit for the tactical switch because normally if this was earlier on in the season, Sari would be like, no, we don't need to do that. We're playing against a way weaker team in West Ham. We could press with both midfielders and leave Jorginho by himself. But we would have gotten the runaround. And I think he notices that now. And he's finally starting to make these tweaks and little adaptations to the side that are kind of bringing our game all together and and, and really uh, – and, and, really creating this cohesive 90 minutes of football, which we haven't seen all season. Now, um, RLC and Conte were just unbelievable today. And Conte breaking forward, I just shout out to N'Golo Conte. Dude, it (laughs) seems like this guy just surprises us every single week. Like we know before this season or we knew before this season that he didn't have an attacking bone in his body. And who would have thought that his goal and assist tally – would be better than Kovacic at this stage of the season playing the position he's playing. Um, it, it's just, it's absolutely unbelievable. And, and it feels like the first time in a long time, I'm talking about the Brighton match and the West Ham match where it finally feels like our possession is actually done with a purpose now. Like mm-hmm. we're even seeing Jorginho play more forward passes, which you talked about because RLC is willing to make those runs on like Barkley and Kovacic. And it just speaks to like the increased amount of time that he also has on the ball too because RLC's pinning defenses back and it's opening up those spaces in between the lines for Jorginho to operate. 
and and Cho is kind of bringing it all together up top because he's all he's all the way out on the touchline. He's not a one-trick pony like I mentioned earlier. I mean, it's obviously still a work in progress, right, Andres? But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we're seeing Sorry Ball in bits and pieces, and we've been shitting on him all season for not seeing it at all. And mm-hmm. a lot of us never really had an and and and, and we're, we're guilty of this too, not really having a real idea of what Sorry Ball is. But after seeing this match, it makes a lot of sense. Like even Sorry said post match, besides besides our lapses defensively that we had, he he was very happy with the attacking movements we made and actually thought we should have scored more goals, which we actually should have. But just kind of harking back to the whole notion of Sorry Ball, if you look at the stats of the game. Um, you know, p- possession wasn't wasn't too lopsided. I think we had 54% possession, uh, double-checking. Yeah, so 54% possession compared to their 46. But if you look at the average pass streak of our possession in this game, it was five. There we and go. That's, <laughs> and, that's, and that tells you kind of everything you need to know. You know, we were winning the ball in good areas, and we were attacking quickly, and aggressively and the nice thing was we weren't overpassing and if you want proof that we weren't overpassing i just mentioned hazard eight dribbles cho six dribbles rlc five dribbles dribbles yeah those are our three most creative players that are picking and choosing the right times to put their head down and run or pick their head up and find the next and and find our next teammate and i think that is ultimately going to be what gets us over the line if we are going to make a push at this top four yeah no and 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 one thing that I also want to touch base on is maybe we are also seeing Sorry let loose a little bit. Yeah. Because you just mentioned that three players had over five dribbles. And when you hear the the Sorry ball, people who know more that dribbling is not part of it. It, it simply is not. It's pass and move, pass and move, pass and move. So maybe, just maybe, just as Sorry has seen the light in terms of who he should pick, He's also seen maybe I'm not giving my players a chance to utilize their best skills by simply thinking that my philosophy is the only way. And yeah. this mix and, and kind of melting pot of the two seems is, is fantastic. Like you said, the possession has purpose. We're seeing our best skilled players show that on the pitch and enjoy themselves. Hazard, hazard celebration, the smiling, everything. Fantastic. And then N'Golo, even N'Golo Conte, you mentioned it at the top. N'Golo had a beautiful backheel pass to, to Aspie. Oh, yeah. And Aspie was like a half second from actually pulling the trigger even, and shooting. He even had a pop with his left foot. That wasn't, that wasn't necessarily a bad hit. That was going to be my next one. He had this one-touch turn onto his left side that was Messi-esque, I, may, I dare to say. Puts it to his left foot, and his left, his left foot of shot was not bad either. So the players are enjoying it. They are executing this to, to, to cap off this match review. We've seen probably what our best 11, potentially 13 players are and how to implement them. And it's nice that this this is how it's, it's a shame that it didn't happen earlier, but it's nice that it's happening at crunch time when we have to have results week in and week out. Speaking of crunch time, a guy who got minutes in crunch time was actually Ross Barkley today, and, and he came on as a super sub after clubbing on Friday night until 5 a.m., um, <laughs> but but we'll get to that in part two of the podcast because it's actually kind of funny. Um, so Barkley came on for Loftus-Cheek to the displeasure of the whole entire crowd at Sanford Bridge, 
But listen, guys, like, could you really blame Sari for pulling him off? Like, maybe he wants to use him in Europa League. He also mentioned that, you know, he's still a 100% from the back injury. Yeah. And, and he talked about the cramp being a result of the back injury. Like, he's still not 100%. So, I mean, kind of got to cut him some slack. But he's finally listening. He's finally starting RLC. But anyways, I'm getting too excited. <laughs> Ross Barkley comes on as a sub. And early on in the season, it seemed that Ross Barkley was was at his best when he was coming off the bench to kill games off. And, you know, we saw him get a run of games as a starter. He obviously failed to impress, had a huge dip in form right around the time, uh, right around the holidays. Is that the formula for getting the best out of him at this stage? Like uh, making him this sort of super sub? Oh, man, I I don't know. I, I think it's the first time we really see him try to bring this role back for Barkley. I think that... At this point, it works to his advantage for sure. The other team is desperate. They're down two goals. They're doing anything they can to to get forward. They are probably just biting at more passes or, or dribbles, again, because they need to get that goal. And then Barkley has to do a little bit less thinking. That assist, that ball to, to Hazard was fantastic. We World saw class. him do like, we saw yeah, him do that kind of thing. Yeah, we saw him do that kind of thing for England. So maybe this is where we should be using Barkley or how we should be using him. Mm-hmm. Tired opposition. He comes in fresh. Most likely he's going to be coming on, hopefully, in a perfect world, he's coming on with a lead. So he's not overthinking, oh, if I mess up this pass, I'm going to screw up this this trend of five passes. Or if if I miss this shot, I may cost us three points. All that insecurity, which we know Barkley has a lot of, is taken away from him. And he gets to just, again, be at ease, just finish out the game. So I, I thought it was a smart choice to play him today, and, and he he took advantage of it. You know, I, I think the thing with Ross Barkley is, like, I mean, there are obviously outside factors that, that – uh, that affected his performance today, right? Like, for one, we, we actually had a positive home atmosphere for once, which was great. Um, but – you know his first touch was brilliant. I mean, I think I think his very first pass he uh, he uh, played Hudson Adoy through on the right hand side and played like this really nice through ball, like a really nice give and go combination. And then uh, he just seemed to be neat and tidy on the ball, but he was also playing it a little bit quicker. And I think I think coming on late at games actually benefits him more than anything because he needs two things to uh, to thrive on the pitch, right? And we talked about it before. It's time and space. Ross Barkley doesn't necessarily think as quickly as he needs to to be a starter week in and week out in the system. Like, yeah, he could be a stopgap here and there against certain opposition, but he does need time and space to thrive. And when he comes on late in matches like this, especially an open match like this where West Ham was getting visibly tired by the end of it, and Chelsea was as well, um, he came on and he, he had that time and space to control the ball, pick his head up, and find those passes and make the right decision. I think that's that was key for him today. Um, as games wear on in the future and as teams tire, I think he's perfect to bring on to play that killer pass. And and and, and it's something nobody talks about is that he actually he actually gets about the pitch uh, more than people give him credit for. Like his work rate is phenomenal, and I noticed that today especially defensively, like in transition when West Ham would break uh, most of the time down the left-hand side. When Bar- once Barkley got subbed into the match, 
Barkley was on his horse full sprint straight down the middle of the pitch and recovering. Like, he's very good at that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the pass to Hazard, there's not much else to say about that. But um, it just absolutely brilliant. And going back to Hazard, like, I have to say this on the podcast, Andres, <laughs> because you you encompassed all of our feelings towards Hazard in three simple words via text message on our WhatsApp group. <laughs> Could could you repeat those three words for our lovely listeners? Because I think this is the most factual thing I've heard all day. <laughs> oh God! So I actually quoted my my friend Jad. He unfortunately couldn't be our guest tonight on the pod, but he texted me and he goes, "Hazardous sex," and I literally just copy pasted that right over to our group text because I had nothing else to say. You always see the meme that says. Yeah, sex is great and all, but have you ever? And today was the perfect time to say, <laughs> witness Hazard dribble through five players to score the the winning goal in a London derby. Freaking Literally fantastic. a climax right there. I, I, am, I am looking forward to another Hazard goal that decides the Premier League this Sunday. Oh, God. And don't we have the perfect situation to do it at Anfield? Ugh. Hazard, Hazard loves the match at Anfield, and so does Chelsea. Like, I think we should recall Thomas Callis from loan just so we could play him in that match. And Demba but, Ba while we're at it. De- Demba Ba, too. Where is Demba Ba, anyways? Is he playing somewhere in China, or is he still in Turkey? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Last I, I, I knew it was Turkey. Oh, God, Demba Ba, come to the MLS. Please, LAFC, we want you. Anyways, <laughs> um... We we have like five strikers on our roster. I don't know why we need another one. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it, for all the listeners, our lovely, lovely listeners that are listening, um, if you're going to take anything away from this podcast, it's not only that Hazard is sex. It's that we also have a second part of the podcast being released right after this one. We're actually going to record it right now. So make sure you check that one out, too. We're going to go match previews with uh, uh, Slavia Prague and Liverpool. I almost said Sparta Prague. Uh, Slavia Prague and Liverpool. We're also gonna talk about different Chelsea news. Tell you a little story about a few Chelsea players uh, partying at a nightclub last Friday. We're also gonna answer some Twitter questions. So make sure you check that out. That's probably my favorite part of the podcast to record, just because it's fun, it's lighthearted. We talk about everything, not just the matches. And uh, yeah, make sure you guys check that out. So until then, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. You can also email us RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. And keep the blue flag flying high, guys.